Alrighty. Well, if you have your Bibles, meet me in Exodus chapter 14, verses 5 through 14. It's Exodus chapter 14, verses 5 through 14. And once again, just want to say that I'm super excited uh, to be with you all throughout this summer. Uh, my wife wishes that she could be with you today, but uh, due to doctor's orders, she's six months, uh, doctor's kind of strict, but we're thankful for her being strict. And she said uh, she has to stay at home for, for a little bit. And so she, she's watching on TV. Hey, hey, baby. <laughs> I'm on TV. <laughs> Okay, she said hey as well. Okay, awesome. <laughs> well, good. Well, good. Well, uh, we're going we're gonna to be in a series called Church in the Wilderness over the course of the next eight weeks. Uh, when you look at the book of Exodus, I feel like there's a lot that we can learn from what God was teaching the Israelites and how he was forming them in the wilderness. And to be quite honest, some of, some of us might feel like we're in the, the wilderness in this season. And so I just pray that the Lord would speak to us uh, through this time as we go through the book of Exodus together. I will read the scripture for us and we'll go from there. It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is it that we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt and officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook them and camped at the sea by Pahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, it is, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we have said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Let's go before our Lord in prayer again. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus name, lifting up just this, this time to you. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of move me out of the way and speak to your people you know where they are today you know what they need today and you know what they need to hear today and i pray that you would minister to their hearts appropriately right where they are it's in your mighty sons jesus name that we pray amen according to some researchers at berkeley university uh, human beings have a deep seated desire for certainty and control. We love certainty and control. Several studies have showed a couple of things. Uh, they said, first, uh, humans love control because control helps us to believe that we can shape the, the desired outcomes of our lives. So if we have control, we can shape life and outcomes as we would like them. So we like control for that reason. Uh, they also 
found that human beings like control because that means that no one else can control us. So imagine that. We like control because that means that no one else can control us, and we kind of like that. But there's a dark underbelly to this desire for control. They said this. They said that the, the drive to control can make you miserable. The drive to control can actually make you miserable. And here's why. They gave a couple of reasons. Number one, no one wants to be controlled by you. So if you're trying to control someone else, they're going to rebel against you and you can't control them. And that's going to frustrate you more because no one wants to actually be controlled by you. And then secondly, they said uh, that, uh, and this is a quote, the study showed that when life doesn't go according to plan, those in high need of control suffer more. And so everyone can be going through the same trial, the same uh, uh, challenge, but those who have a high need of control tend to suffer more. And in time, su- times such as this, when there's so much uncertainty and when control is evading us, the fast track to anxiety and misery is to hold on too tightly to control. And inversely to that, uh, the pathway to joy and peace, especially in times like this, that pathway to joy in a season like this is, is discovered by those who are willing to let go of control, who, who are willing to, to let it go. Which leads us to our, our first point today as we continue in Exodus. Uh, we're going to see Pharaoh not wanting to let go of control, which leads us to our first point. The enemy of our souls never lets go without a fight. The enemy of our souls never lets go without a fight. As we come to our text, we see a disturbed Pharaoh, a man who was used to being in control, a man who was used to having so much power. Now he is beginning to lose power. He is having his entire world turned upside down. Down, A man who, based upon his own theological views in the world that he grew up in in Egypt, he was a god. So his entire life, uh, he had had thought uh, that he was a god. For a long time, he thought that he was the center of the world. And now he's getting his entire world flipped upside down. Uh, Scholar Miles Van Pelt puts it this way. He says, Pharaoh's heart was, was especially important because the Egyptians believed that his heart, they believed his heart to be sovereign and an all controlling force in both history and society. And because they understood Pharaoh to be the incarnation of God, they viewed his heart as equally sovereign over everything that existed. Imagine an identity crisis, having believed that you're in control of everything and now everything is kind of raveling out of control. Uh, he, he, he assumed that he was in control of the world, that his heart was sovereign, and now he can't even control his own heart because God, the sovereign God, is hardening his heart. And, and that idea of hardening his heart means that Pharaoh was given over to his sinful desires. God let go of the restraint. He was allowed to go for it, to be dark, to, to, to live out of the wickedness in the darkness of his heart. And God is allowing that to happen. And so it's easy to judge Pharaoh, though. Just a pause there. It's easy to judge Pharaoh 
and, and to believe that we might not have anything in, in common with him, but actually we do. We, we, might, we might be able to relate to some of the stubbornness of Pharaoh. I've always wondered, man, doesn't he see that he's losing this battle? Like, can't he see that? His, his world is unraveling. He's lost his, fun, his firstborn. Can't he see that he's losing this battle? But Pharaoh couldn't see past himself. He couldn't see past himself and his words. He's like, but, but I'm the center of the world. I've, I've always been the center of the world. And I believe that we can relate to that. I believe that we can relate to this illusion that maybe that we have some kind of control. Uh, it might not be as, as graphic in nature as, as Pharaoh's experience, but we might wake up and say, well, I woke up today and I decided to brush my teeth or not. And uh, I decided what I wanted to eat for breakfast and I chose the neighborhood that I live in and I chose my major in college and I chose to change it however many times I chose to change it and I, I, ch I chose my, my job and I have influence and there are some places in which I'm in, in charge and some, sometimes we can feel this level of independence and autonomy that really doesn't exist. It's actually an illusion, this illusion of control. We can say that I can do as I will. I can do this. I can do that. I can choose not to do this. I can choose not to do that. And there's this certain level of not verbal professing atheism, but functional atheism in which we can go throughout our days navigating life without having leaned on God for dependence or noticed our dependence and need for him in the areas of our life that we might consider under our control, the stuff that we can manage. We might need God for some things, but other things we don't need him for. Let's zoom into Pharaoh to get, to get a clearer picture of this. In verse five, we see that when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done that we have let Israel go? Hear this now from us. <laughs> We've let them go from us. He, he's kind of going back to him, his old self. He's like, that's right. I'm, I, I am God. I, I have been running this world. Who, who are they to think that they can run away from me? I have uh, defined the purpose, uh, purpose for their lives. He is so deceived. He is so deceived and he can't get out of his own way. He's so deceived and he can't get out of his own way. It says him and his servants agreed to go after Israel again. This probably means that he didn't have good friends because at this point, someone should have said, hey pal, we've been getting our tails kicked. Leave God alone, leave his people alone. He said, let his people go, let them go. But he doesn't have good friends and they all rallied together. Uh, their pride had gotten the best of them. And friends, without God's intervention and in turning our hearts away from our sin, away from our addictions, away from our sinful inclinations, we have no chance. Uh, this man had his entire world turned upside down and he still can't get it. He still doesn't see what's happening. If you and I have any conviction or any conscience towards sin in our lives, that is an absolute blessing and gift from God. That is an act of mercy from 
God. To, to be aware of your error is a, is a gift and an act of mercy from God. I am a native Memphian. I have been here my entire life, but I still use a GPS pretty much everywhere that I go. And every now and then I make a, a wrong turn or I go the wrong way and I hear this little voice to say, make a U-turn. That's Siri, my GPS. Make a U-turn, turn around, Terrence, make a U-turn. And that is an absolute gift for a directionally challenged brother like myself. To be able to hear it, to be able to comprehend it, and to be able to make that turn is a gift. But to not be able to care, to not be able to know, to lack the awareness of my misdirection and wrong terms is an act of judgment. And that's what we are seeing in the life of Pharaoh. Continuing in verse six, it says, so he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and 600 chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt. He's taken everything and all of the officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiant. Egypt was a superpower. Uh, they had a powerful military and, and the, uh, the Israelites appeared to be abandoned. So maybe, just maybe in their hearts, in their minds, maybe Moses and his God, they really don't know what they are doing. They, they've just led us to a wall of water. We have this powerful army behind us it says that in verse 7 it says that he took 600 chariots and all of the other chariots of egypt essentially this is saying that he threw everything at them he threw everything at them that he could evil doesn't let go easily evil doesn't let go easily i say that not to scare you but to heighten your awareness uh, we exist in a spiritual battle. Uh, we exist in a glory war. And Satan wants glory from your life. And he will hold on to whatever he can in order that he might get some kind of glory from your life, even though he's fighting a losing battle. That's why addictions are hard to break and opposition comes when you're trying to follow Jesus. And, and, and that's why we deal with church fights and wrestles and divisions of all kinds of and all kinds of issues such as that, uh, because we are in the middle of a glory war. Uh, Pharaoh's prideful, demonic heart wanted glory. He did not want Yahweh God to get glory over him. And he was going to fight to, uh, to the death so that he might receive some kind of glory. God is saying, let my people go. These are my people. Pharaoh gets up and said, no, these are my people. Uh, God is saying that I'm willing to die for my people, though. See, these are my people, my blood shed for my people, for my glory. That's what God is saying. And in the midst of this glory war, God is fighting for you. He's fighting for us. He's fighting for his church. Going to the cross was an act of war. That was him saying that I have died for my people and I will fight for my people. These people do not belong to you, Satan. These people do not belong to you, Pharaoh. These are my people and I'm willing to prove it. I'm going to the cross for them. Satan is barking. My people. God is saying, no, you don't. My people. 
Continuing in verse 10, it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they said, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Israelites are trying to flee, but their hearts are filled with terror. This is, this is very uncomfortable. This is not their normal. This is not their normal way of life. Uh, they have never been this collectively defiant to Pharaoh. So this might be a little scary for them to finally build up the nerve to push back and take a little step of faith. And soon as they push back and take this little step of faith, here comes Pharaoh again. Maybe he is who he says that he is. We, we've always grown up hearing that he was God and all sovereign. Maybe he is what he, he is. That's, that's probably what they're wrestling with in, our, in their hearts, which leads us to our next point. Citizenship in a new kingdom mandates a new king and a new normal. Citizenship in a new kingdom mandates a new king and a new normal. Pharaoh wasn't the only person that had to be convinced that Pharaoh was not God. The Israelites had to also be convinced that Pharaoh was not God. They would have grown up hearing the same false doctrines that Pharaoh had learned. They would have grown up under the oppression of Pharaoh. They would have experienced beatings at the hand of this army. They would experience those beatings at the hand of this army that is now pursuing them. They would have remembered when their firstborn sons were killed. They, they, have, a, they have a sort of post-traumatic stress relationship with Pharaoh. And so it shouldn't surprise us that they are a little afraid now that this army is on their heels. They're trying to learn how to know and trust this God. And this might be a little much. Uh, they're, they're in the middle of a crisis on their own. And then there uh, begins this, this back and forth conversation uh, between uh, the Israelites and Moses. I believe that they were verbal processors. So, so they begin to uh, verbally speak out loud uh, what they were thinking and feeling at this moment. They don't hide it. Uh, in, in Exodus 14, in verse 11, they begin to express their doubt verbally. And they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? I can imagine the finger pointing at this point. Um, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. I want to zoom in on that word, serve. Uh, they were content with a life of serving King Pharaoh. They were absolutely content with serving him and his kingdom. Uh, they were used to being citizens of Pharaoh's kingdom. It was cruel and it was oppressive, but at least it was predictable and at least it was normal. This was their normal. And I believe that this gets at the heart of Israel's idolatry. They are essentially saying that we should have just stayed in Egypt because in this moment they are attempting to believe that Pharaoh did a better job of making provisions for their life. At least they had food, a predictable life, at least they had some certainty. And in this moment they have a little more confidence in this idol God than they do in Yahweh at this point in their story but God is breaking this normal he is breaking this uh, codependent relationship between his people 
and this idol. He, he's disrupting their normal, but he is offering something so much better than normal. He is offering himself. He's offering something so much better than normal. He's offering himself, his, his, his presence, his protection, his provisions. But the Israelites are not too impressed yet. God has demonstrated his signs and his wonders and his power. At this point, they have seen a lot at this point, but they still are not impressed. They just want three meals a day and a regular schedule. Just want three meals a day and a regular schedule. Their ambitions were far too small, but God is trying to deepen and widen their imagination and broaden their, their palate. He's trying to uh, open up their hearts and their imaginations to a new kingdom and a new relationship and true love and true purpose. He's trying to open up their hearts for, for that, but they're having a hard time embracing that in this season. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're like a person who has only ever had hamburger, hamburger helper. But you're trying to convince them to try this juicy steak. But they're like, I don't, I don't want your ham, I don't want your steak. I like hamburger helper. That is all that I've ever had. And so you can keep your juicy steak. Uh, I, I want this hamburger helper because they want the hamburger helper because that is all that they have ever known. That is their normal. Uh, perhaps, perhaps, maybe, perhaps, maybe, uh, God might be allowing some of your normal to be broken uh, so that he might offer you more of himself. Just perhaps, maybe. That's a perhaps and a maybe for you, but it's a certainly for me. <laughs> uh, I've had to embrace change in this season. I'll be honest with you, as a church planter, planting a church in the middle of a pandemic kind of rocks some of your normal. <laughs> uh, according to our normal, we should have been meeting in person now with some of our groups and doing some in-person training. And, and according to our normal, I would have been out doing events in the community. Uh, our, our small groups would be in person. Uh, we had our first church planting event March 8th at, at our house. It was great. We had a bunch of people over. We had food on the grill sharing food with our hands imagine that it, it, it was great march 12th four days later an nba player um uh, tests positive for COVID 19 and the country shuts down four days later and i wish that i could say that i've been full of faith the entire time and i've never doubted or had any complaints the entire time uh, but uh, if I can be honest, there have been some days where I have, I have been like, God, what are you doing? What are you what are you doing? And in those moments, I sensed the spirit saying to me that normal is gone for a while, but I'm still here. Normal is gone for a while, but I'm still here. He, he is still God in the wilderness. He is still God when you and I are between a rock and a hard place. And sometimes he takes us through a detour of wilderness to teach us to depend on him in a new way in order to reorient our hearts from old dependencies so that we can greater depend on him and experience a new life in him. Uh, the enemy of our souls never lets go without a fight. 
Citizenship in a new kingdom mandates a new king and a new normal. And lastly, God sometimes allows a crisis so that he might get his glory, so that he might display his glory. Sometimes God allows a crisis so that he might display his glory. The, the Israelites have vented their frustrations. They have verbally processed their fear and doubt. Now Moses responds, this patient, humble servant of the Lord uh, who is already seeing his approval rating decline with this new group that he has. He speaks to this distressed people in crisis. In verse 13, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you, you have only to be silent. He calls them to do four things. He says, fear not, stand firm, watch. In other words, watch this and be silent. He's essentially saying, stay right there. Stay right there. Watch, watch this. God has allowed this to happen. This crisis is not taking God by surprise. He, he is not overwhelmed. He, he did not pick the wrong directions. He's not staring at his phone saying, oops, we're supposed to go that way. No, that, that, that's not what's happening here. He's very aware of the body of water right there. And he, he's also very aware of his sovereignty and, and his wisdom. He's aware of the army back there. God sometimes allows a crisis so that he might display his glory. And Moses, his servant, is relaying the message of fear not, stand firm, watch this, be silent. Verse 14, he says, uh, in continuing, it says, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Israel, you have a good God and a good king and a new king. Uh, your old king, Pharaoh, says, work for me, fight for me. But your new king says, I will work for you. I will fight for you. Can you feel the rest, Israel, rest that you have never felt, love that you have never felt and seen? And just as Israel was to look forward to this great work of salvation, this great work of deliverance, where God was going to demonstrate his power. Uh, we look back at the salvation of the Lord as Jesus conquered all of our enemies on the cross, all of our fears on the cross. He went to war for us. He fought for us, demonstrated his power and his glory over the enemy of our souls. We only need to fear not, stand firm, Watch this. Be silent. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus name. Just thankful that you would go to war for us, that you fight for us. God, you didn't tell Israel to come up with a plan on how to fight those Egyptians at that moment. You didn't your servant Moses didn't say, be afraid, they're here. No, you, you, you encouraged us and reminded us that we can trust you, that you are the God of our salvation. 
Uh, that moments such as the one that we are experiencing right now in our world, these moments do not catch you by surprise. And I pray, Father, that we would rest in your promises and your sovereignty at this time. You're the only true God, and it is a blessing and a gift uh, to be in your kingdom. It's in your mighty son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.